This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello everybody and welcome to Talking Flutes Extra with me, Jean-Paul Wright. Now we all know that food can sometimes be the devil in disguise and at other times invigorate and energise us. For many, food is simply a fuel and for others, the food that we consume is something to be understood and enjoyed. This week on Talking Flutes Extra, I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast our wonderful flute player, teacher, mum, and a first for me, a food blogger, the wonderful Catherine Carter. Hi, Catherine, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Are you still stuck at home? Uh, Well, I am at home today, yes. Um, Obviously, things have opened up a little bit, back teaching in person, Mm. bits and pieces, and playing in person. So I know things are a bit slow at the beginning, but um, we're starting to pick up now, which is good. Now, I want to to start with, I'd like to take you all the way back. Uh, We can talk about food later, because when I speak, when we speak food, your sort of eyes glint and you smile. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) But let's talk about flute playing first, because uh, that's where I first met you uh, quite a few years ago now. So where did your love of the flute start? And what made you decide to take it on as a career? Well, flute certainly has been my first love, and I think it will always be. Um, That hasn't changed through lockdown or anything else. Um, It first started back, I think, from my nursery days. And I think this is preschool, not even nursery, so age three. There was a lady that played the piano, and we got to sing with her for a Christmas show or something. And I thought that was incredible. I hadn't ever seen anything like it. Came home and said to my parents, I I really need to play the piano. I need to have a piano. I want to do what the lady does. And then that evolved a few years later to my grand buying a piano without my parents wishing for that to happen. Not musical at all, not a musical family. So I started there. And on the television, I think it must have been Young Musician of the Year, I saw a flute player doing a concerto with an orchestra and I thought it was the most incredible thing that I'd ever heard. And it was from that day I said, I have to play the flute please can I play the flute? When can I start? And I was actually too young to start. I think I must have been about six. And when I was nine, my parents said that I could start lessons. My grandma bought me a flute from the local newspaper. Uh, It just about worked. And it was one of those things that it just started there. And I've loved it ever since. I was just very, very lucky that my grandma fully supported me doing something that was totally out of the mould for anybody in my family and I, I just fell in love with it. I've just wondered if the um, young, young Musician of the Year, if that was Jonathan Rimmer, because I remember he got through to the end stage of Young Musician of the Year. I honestly have no idea but I wish I could watch the video back of whoever I saw playing and track it down to whenever it might have been. It was just purely by chance that I had turned the television on or my, my dad might have done and that was what was on at that time. It wasn't put on for me to watch or anything else. So it was just pure luck that I saw it, really. So you came to the flute because you wanted to play the flute. The students mm. that are coming to you now, are they coming to play the flute because they want to play or because they're encouraged to play by their parents? Well, it's a bit of a mix. I think some students come because they've seen 
their friends play. And then other students come because their parents would like them to play something. And sometimes it is because their parents would like them to play for them to have a school place later on. And it's quite interesting because sometimes the students fall in love with music for their own reasons. And it's really lovely when that does happen because it, then it becomes their own thing and part of them. But it's it's quite a mix, I would say. I think it's very different to when I started learning. Which wasn't very long ago compared to most of us oh. old, oldies. Oh, it was. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you meet your husband, your, your future husband, uh, your husband now? Yes. Wasn't he a French horn player? Yes, he was. So um, I was very lucky in my teenage years. I went to the Junior Royal College of Music from about the age of 13, I think it was. And then I, you know, I did bits and pieces, London School Symphony Orchestra. I did a little bit with MYO as well. And I met him at London School Symphony Orchestra when we were 17. Um, and we were coaching young children for this at this course to play alongside us to do a big concert in the Barbican. And so it was purely by chance I'd be put in a small group with him and we were coaching recorder players, dare I say, um, <laughs> um, how to play you know, something that had been written alongside a production of Cinderella that had been orchestrated for a special event. My favourite instrument, French horn. I absolutely adore it. And if I wasn't a flute player, that would have been the instrument. Oh, for me, it's the cello. Definitely. I, w I wish I had learned the cello alongside. I just I love the sound. Interesting, isn't it? How many flute players actually love and prefer other instruments? I, I don't know if I say prefer. I think it's just it's so different. And the resonance and the sound world is so different to the sound that we produce. I think it's quite refreshing. And I'm quite jealous of some of their repertoire as well, I have to say. <laughs> well, perhaps I'm odd because I prefer any instrument other, well, other than the viola to the flute. Uh, that said, <laughs> that said, now I've had the joy of knowing you for a few years now. And even before you became a mummy, your dedication to keeping healthy was obvious to us all via your Instagram account. How has the past 18 months as a musician and mother, combined with all the restrictions we've been under at various times, affected you? Gosh, I think the last 18 months have been a bit of a roller coaster for everybody, especially in the music world. I think, first of all, my biggest worry before we went into any lockdown was I could see my diary emptying. So instead of more bookings coming in, concerts being put in, chamber music, whatever it was, everything was being cancelled. And I have never, ever been in a situation, I'm sure none of us have, where you could see your diary emptying before your eyes and all the things you were looking forward to playing just disappearing and you know to be confirmed to later date or cancelled until further notice so that was the the first big shock and I think getting my head around that as a musician and knowing it wasn't me as a musician that was perhaps you know not doing a good job it wasn't anything to do with that it was just the pandemic so that was a, a big thing suddenly being at home 24 <laughs> 7 and not having the freedom as a musician to travel and play with others and the social aspect of playing with so many people during a week was a really big thing. And I had to accustomise to being at home, a mummy full time, and trying to teach online whilst looking after a toddler and my husband working as well. And not having a space outside of the four walls, that was a really tough challenge for me. I definitely... I, f I felt for the first few weeks, it was just a case of finding my feet and seeing what I needed to do to feel a bit more human again. And having been through the lockdowns, that you know there were lots of things that helped, but you know, going outside every day and taking my son out every day for a walk, whatever the weather, 
and just having that freedom we're very lucky that we're surrounded by fields where we are I know we're very close to London but we are in the countryside still and having that space for us both to feel free and I, I used to just post a picture every day of the, the view that I would see sunshine rain whatever it might be and that was a real breath of fresh air we were so lucky to be able to do that but I know not everybody was able to but I think for him as well I really saw a change in him and he was much happier every day when we had done that I think being trapped inside four walls as a creative person is quite challenging I like to have freedom and I like to just explore lots of different things in the week and have variety and then all of a sudden that being taken away I had to find my own variety cooking is definitely something that helped me along that journey as well I learned how to make sourdough I was one of those people that followed the sourdough trend but I, I had always wanted to do it and I was too worried about doing it in case I did it wrong before because I didn't have the time to spend experimenting but all of a sudden I had time so I think finding ways to be creative in just in a different way that I had ever considered was something that was really important. How did it affect your mental health? Not the first lockdown because we were lucky over here in the UK to have beautiful weather and then mm. we came out into sort of partial lockdowns and sort of phases and then we went back into lockdown during the cold winter nights. I, fe I personally found that quite difficult. How did you find it? I found it incredibly difficult because um, I know we had three in the UK. So the first one was, I found it was okay because the weather was great, as you yeah. said. The second one, I was still going into school to teach, and I found it very bizarre that lots of friends and colleagues that either weren't doing any teaching or did completely different jobs, they weren't seeing anybody. And I was very conscious that my husband was at home not seeing anybody, and I was going out and seeing all of my students and yes it was lovely to do that in person but it's not the same as seeing your musician colleagues and making music so I, I felt I had a bit of a lifeline there to see other people but the third lockdown I think was the toughest because it started in December January and it was dark most of the time the weather was terrible we had snow it was it was a big challenge just because I had to make myself go outside to, to go for a walk whatever the weather, I had to give myself different ways of looking after myself. Um, I was a bit fed up with Zoom, teaching on Zoom or on Microsoft Teams or whatever. I think we all needed a break from being online. And so cooking more and being more creative, coming up with different recipes, just doing different things. I needed to find different avenues to be creative just to help myself feel that every day was different to the last as opposed to waking up, this is my routine, and going to bed. And I'm not, although I love routine, I require <laughs> to be really, you know, really fully happy. I really do need to have variety at the same time. So I have to speak about your first gig after the country yes. opened up again. And orchestras started to come alive. What did that feel like after such a long time away? Now, obviously, I know because I was watching your posts, but it was yes. like this huge, great release, this joy, this playing with people again. Oh, I can actually feel my eyes well up talking about this. Um, it was an absolute joy. And I think we were all very, very emotional because we'd all been in the same situation. We've been at home and we hadn't been able to play with each other. And then all of a sudden to sit in the room and, you know, I was very lucky, you know, last week to do a performance as well. But... I think every performance I have done since the first one 
everybody is so grateful to be there and that the normal niggly things that people would complain about we haven't been complaining <laughs> there haven't been those kind of oh did you see you know what da 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 you know the conductor or whatever it might be the normal niggles that you get whatever it is um everybody's been there on time everybody is so pleased to be there and the release that you feel when you play with everybody as a whole is just incredible and it just reminds you exactly why you do what you do and all of the worry we've had through the pandemic through each lockdown are we going to be playing what's going to happen it dissipates straight off um in terms of playing together it was quite challenging because you've been playing by yourself at home and you so you know i have done recordings and things to click tracks and that's fine but you're still not playing with other people with a sense of you you have that innate sense of how you work together and you sit next to somebody, they pick up on how you feel and you pick up on they, how they feel and everybody else around you. And all of a sudden having to respond to everything that's going on was quite challenging. And I think everybody felt it. It took a little while for everybody to settle. But then once it did, the magic happened and it just felt incredible. It, it, it I cannot describe it. So, yes, I think as musicians, we've all felt quite emotional coming back to it very grateful to be doing it together your face lights up when you talk about it yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a joy it's pure joy I, I cannot tell you it's been a long time coming how has becoming a mum changed you as a musician and as a food blogger actually <laughs> well this, this is a, this is an interesting one I was very lucky to have a close a uh, close-knit group of mum friends that I, I met when I was pregnant and you all go to you know you go to a class and you meet other parents and things I was the only musician and as a musician and a mother I was really conscious of the fact that I knew I would be going back to work very soon and I did um I at five weeks that was my first concert having had my son and that was totally reliant on family my my family my husband's family being able to help us and support us and childcare, and it's really made me think about as a mother your responsibility is totally different as a musician you, that you were beforehand and I think it really helps you to focus now when I practice I have a limited amount of time and sometimes I'm disturbed and sometimes something comes up um, but I have to be very focused and you know I just have to think about right when can I do it that's when I need to do it these are the things I need to do and you just think about it very differently there are times in the first year particularly I found it very challenging you know having to leave go and play and do a concert but then the feeling of doing the concert and the performance for people that then makes you realize why you do what you do and then coming home to your child you then that is a wonderful feeling as well so I think it's just a case of finding your balance and finding your rhythm and um, being incredibly organized and planning ahead so you know I have everything planned out um, I am one of these people that likes to plan meals the week ahead the reason being is I know that everybody in my house is well fed <laughs> looked after and I, that's one less thing that I need to worry about and it, it, it's not something that's going to change so I think being so organized both for practice for you know where knowing where I am childcare all of these things that has helped I think it really helps you feel emotion in a different way and that's something was something I didn't expect as a mother um, I didn't expect to be even more emotional than I was before um, <laughs> but that certainly happened 
And I think that opens up a different world in music making as well. So that was quite a welcome surprise, I think. Ah, oh, yeah, I would totally agree. Even as an old bloke with, <laughs> with grown-up children, I can still say that uh, when you have your first children, your first child, you see emotions very differently because you realise the world doesn't sort of centre around oneself or you as a couple. And that suddenly that little person becomes the most important thing in the world. And I think that was something that everybody said it would happen. And I thought, oh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure everybody is different, but it definitely happens. And, you know, they are the most important thing in your world. And I'm just eternally grateful that with the support that I have with my family, that I am able to continue to perform and to do all the things I was doing before, almost as if, you know, nothing had changed. But if I didn't have their support, that wouldn't have been possible. So, so yeah, you, I'm very grateful. So you create joy at home with your food cooking. I try. And you, create, I try. you create joy to your students when you teach them and you create joy to an audience when you play to them. So let's move on to food. Let's move on to the most okay. important thing and how our moods are not only affected by what we eat, but also how it affects us as artists and creatives. Now, when I first found you on Instagram quite a long time ago, you and there's a bit of a dichotomy going on there is that you are posting beautifully creative food pictures, but also flute pictures. And you had this thing going on where you were, you were posting food and flute and you didn't really know we're going to sort of combine the two. But you've managed to do that really well without moving your social media presence only over to food blogging. Now, on the food, you maintain a very trim, very worked out shape and yet post lots of beautiful pictures of food. How do you do it? Well, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. If I go back to how it started, really, in my days of being at music college and being away from home, I found it incredibly difficult to find a way of living that was balanced. And I burnt out very quickly. I was practicing too much. I wasn't looking after myself. I wasn't exercising. And I was not sleeping enough. I was just eating poorly. And, you know, I used to walk into my flute lessons and my wonderful teacher at the time, Anna Noakes, she is an absolute superstar. Uh, I love her to pieces. She used to say to me, your eyes look horrendous. Have you slept? And, you know, I was, I was juggling work so that I could pay to stay in London so I could afford to rent, you know, all these things. And she just, every week she said to me, what are you doing to yourself? And, th and then I played to her and she said, you need to, you need to rest. You, you need to change something. And it took me a long time to find the balance of looking after myself. And it wasn't until I left music college that that really, I really found that. And, you know, I was quite poorly at one point, you know, just because I wasn't looking after myself. I ended up in hospital and it, it was all, you know, stress. My body was just stressed. Everything was kind of shutting down, really. And it took for that point, which I really hope that if anybody's listening to this and is feeling burnt out, please do not let yourself go to that point ever. But it took for that to happen, for me to think, OK, I need to do some movement. I need to look after myself and I need to think about how I myself as a result and so I started doing reformer Pilates which anybody that follows me still know that I do it to this day I did it you know all the way through pregnancy obviously looked after correctly and things but it's something I absolutely swear by in terms of looking after your core as a musician as a flautist it is 
wonderful. It's really sorted out any back aches I've had from sitting on chairs. I'm quite small height-wise, as uh, lots of people know, and chairs just do not work. They're, they're made for tall people. So, you know, things like that. It's really, really helped. Then the food side came into it. So I was starting to feel better. I was prioritizing sleep, but I needed to feed myself in a way that I felt good, but I was still enjoying food. I'm definitely a person that I will not cut anything out ever. If you like chocolate, have chocolate. If you like cake, have cake. Whatever it might be, if you like to have, you know, a drink after a concert, whatever, have a drink after a concert. But I think it's finding the balance that works for you so that your body is happy. And I just started cooking different recipes. I started food blogging purely because a friend said, oh, have you been on Instagram before? There's some amazing pictures of food. And it was purely that one comment. And it was actually from a week away playing down in Devon. Um, it was on the train home. I remember it very clearly. And so I downloaded Instagram on the train then. And I said, oh, my goodness. Wow, I didn't even know this existed. And that's how it began. I started doing different recipes. I ended up being invited to a couple of book launches and things, meeting other foodies, food writers, food bloggers. It just escalated, really. But learning to look after myself is something that really kicked us off. And I think as a musician, I wish they could look after us a little bit more at music college in terms of guiding us as to, as a musician, you need to look after yourself, you know, mind, body, soul, everything, whatever it is, it will really help you as a musician. Yeah, it's something I feel very strongly about. A lot of the photographs that you put up are absolutely beautiful. And as I as I always make, make the point, the, you must have put them together with tweezers. They look so perfect. <laughs> but the most important thing is moderation, isn't it? As you said, you could eat what you want. But when you've cooked, when you've made this beautiful breakfast with homemade granola and yogurt and uh, all these beautiful berries, you don't put it in a huge bowl. That I know that if I have a, a small bowl like that, Initially, I'll want more. But if you leave it a few minutes afterwards, your body becomes satiated. Yeah. And I think it's also, you know, I'm not a very tall person and I'm not a very big person. And if I was to eat the same size bowl that perhaps you would eat, you're, you know, you're taller than I am, or my husband would eat, that, there is a obviously a difference. And I think just allowing yourself to have some time and space when you eat, which is something I had to learn to do. And I still fall foul of having to eat my lunch on the train on a bench somewhere in the car because I've got to run from teaching to rehearsal or, you know, between a rehearsal and a concert or from one rehearsal to another. I still end up doing that now. But I think by, you know, just being a little bit more mindful around the times when I eat and taking time to eat, that has made a, a really big difference. It isn't always possible. And the days when it isn't, I know I'm running around and I know I feel more stressed. But that's also me needing just to take a bit of time just to kind of sit before I do something as well. That's a major problem with many of us, isn't it? Is that we're not mindful when we eat. We are either in dialogue or we're thinking about other things and we're just shoveling this sustenance, this nu the nutrients into us without thinking. Definitely. I think it, it, even more so over the last 18 months, just having that time and space. Sometimes, you know, we don't want that time because you end up thinking about things that perhaps are on your mind. But it's really important just to have that bit of space for yourself and that, for me, makes a big difference. It isn't always possible. And when I'm in the middle of a school term and I'm you know, doing concerts here, there and everywhere and trying to think about my family as well, it is not possible. But I think trying to make that possible and giving yourself a bit of time really does make a big difference. Time and mindful eating. If you can do it, 
it's the number one yeah. way it's the number one way actually to not only lose weight but to actually reduce your intake because you're you're just tasting all the different sensations when you watch food shows cooking shows and they're telling you about this taste that comes through now 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 i'm getting this bit this bitterness coming through and then that's followed by the sweetness when you're shoveling it in because you're in a dialogue over a dinner in a dinner party with somebody you can't taste that because you're just tasting it in the hole aren't you yeah, absolutely. I um, I did go to dinner in London a couple of days ago, and it was really lovely because there were lots of little plates of things that came out at different times. And I went I went with a very good musician friend of mine because we can because we're not doing concerts all the time, so we actually have time to socialise. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there are some perks, and it was really lovely because you could try each dish, and we shared the dishes, and you could taste everything. And it was really, it was really flavorful Indian food that wasn't your typical curries. It was more regional, and it was really enjoyable to have that time to sit down. We were there for a couple of hours, but taste everything as it came out, as opposed to all on one plate. And we don't often eat like that, but the way you know the restaurant is set up, that worked really, really well. And that was definitely mindful. Yes, we were having a conversation and things, but it forced you to be more mindful and enjoy what you're eating as well so very enjoyable experience it makes food joyful as you say it it when you really taste food when you take the time to really understand what you're eating the whole the, the whole thing that you're shoveling into your body becomes therefore important absolutely i i think you can't i, I think the thing for me is smelling different smells outside of the pandemic and tasting different foods because although I've cooked you can see behind me I have bookshelves and these are full of cookery books that that is yeah it's my my world I love sitting there flicking through new recipes and tweaking them and seeing what works for me and just trying new ingredients different things and trying things outside of your home that you haven't cooked and somebody else has and you don't know what to expect you've picked something on the menu it comes out and you can smell it first or you, and you can smell other people's food and it's that instant smell and you just think oh I didn't expect that because you don't know exactly how much of each ingredient has gone in sitting down and having that smell the pleasure is ridiculous and that was the first time I've been out for dinner um actually properly and then suddenly eating something and you don't know what flavor to expect first nothing gives you the same joy it, it it's just it's I can't explain it really. Whatever it is, you just get, again, your face is lighting up. We're talking yeah. food. <laughs> right. Yeah. I can't invite a food blogger on to the Talking Flutes podcast without asking you, do you have any recipes that you can sort of sneakily give over to us? Nobody's listening apart from me and 40 odd thousand download each week. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends what you want. I think for me, in the pandemic, I was trying to think of recipes and things that I could take to work with me when I was back in work. So trying to find things that were easy to throw together and whether I just had to put them in one dish in the oven and cook them. Because when you're back at work as a musician and teaching and doing all the things that we do as musicians and traveling around, you do not have time to spend two hours, you know, chopping everything really precisely and cooking it this way, adding this, doing this, unless you can leave it for an hour, come back and then leave it again. Forget it. We just don't have the time. And I think combinations of ingredients that you can interchange as well. So I know I have mentioned it on my Instagram, and this is something I love, is a baked orzo dish. So orzo is a pasta, which is very, very small, and it's almost like a grain of rice. 
project for those of you that haven't seen it before. And this would work with any pasta, by the way. Any vegetables, my favorite combination would be to slice some leeks and in, in with the leeks, stir in some garlic, some lemon zest, salt and pepper, and some herbs, oregano, thyme, whatever you fancy, you know, whatever flavor profile. You could add chili flakes, whatever you want to do. Um, olive oil, mix that together, put it in the oven dish. Put your orzo in the oven dish. Add any veg you would like. So frozen veg works really well. Frozen broccoli, you could use cauliflower, anything at all you fancy. And I often put in asparagus, courgettes, peppers, anything. And then you can add protein in there, whether you add beans if you're veggie, or you could add tofu if you're veggie. You could add meat in there. Just make sure that you have pre-cooked your meat before you add it in. I like adding some goat's cheese or different mozzarella or something, just so it melts in and adds a different flavor. And then add some stock and you put it in the oven. So 20, 30 minutes, depending on the size of the pasta you use, until all the liquid has been absorbed. And there you go. That is it. So in terms of putting it together, it might take five minutes just to assemble and then you put it in the oven and you leave it. So it's perfect if you're about to do some practice or something or you've got a lesson to teach. You can literally stick it in, put a timer on, go and do what you need to do, come back, take it out, leave it to cool down. Done. So that's perfect as a lunch or put it in Tupperware or a pot or whatever and then you can take it the next day. So things like that have been really enjoyable to make and just to experiment with because trying to make life easier when things or we hope when things go back to normal in the music world that you know that's something that I'm definitely passionate about something like sourdough now I love making sourdough <laughs> I was and we all have this. yeah <laughs> we all have different recipes for sourdough and I think sourdough sums up a musician really because you, you have your starter which for those of you that don't know it's flour and water that you feed and bubbles appear and as you start to feed it the bubbles grow and it produces the energy for the bread to rise I started making sourdough in lockdown and this is something that I've been very scared of doing because I was very worried I would do it wrong and I wouldn't be able to make it and I didn't want to fail. And that's I think that's kind of the musician in me as well. The perfectionist in me, we all sometimes have that little you know, voice in our head saying, oh, what if it goes wrong? But in lockdown, I was able to do it and I managed to crack it. Not the first time. The first one was a disc. It was terrible. And, I, you know, you, you live and learn. You, you get a feel for it. But the, the sourdough and the starter, you feed, I feed mine twice a day just before I make a loaf um, until it's bubbly enough and it rises enough for you to make a loaf of bread. And that for me is like the practice before a concert. You're, you're feeding things, you're, you're doing your practice, you're just, you know, topping things up so you feel comfortable and you feel like you're ready for a performance. The performance is mixing everything together, letting everything prove, that's like the rehearsal just before, and then the, the performance is when it goes in the oven and poof, up it pops. Well, you hope. <laughs> and so that's something I learned to do. And I would say to anybody, if you want to feel, have the sense to be creative and have a bit of space and to feel connected to the ingredients you're using, I know that can sound a bit woo-woo to some people, but making sourdough really is quite grounding because you have to be in tune to how ingredients interact with each other. It's not a case of cut up an onion, put it in the pan, cut up this, put it in the pan. You really have to monitor how it is interacting and how the dough feels so that's something that yeah it's quite a good analogy for <laughs> how I've been using my creativity in the pandemic really well one issue I've got when I'm cooking I'm not very good at seasoning I never know the correct amount of seasoning to put in my daughter does when she cooks it's spot on 
But when mm. I cook, it's either too salty or not enough seasoning in it. Where's the midpoint? I know it's, it's, that's a, it's a moot question, isn't it? Because it depends on everybody's yeah, yeah. It's I'm always quite scared to over-season. I would say that if you taste all the way through the cooking process, if it's a quick dish, you know, taste, taste, taste as you go. Oh, please be careful if you've got raw meat, fish in there, whatever you're cooking. But definitely taste all the way through and you can always add seasoning it's very difficult to take seasoning away <laughs> um, <laughs> we've all been there we've all done it you know i i remember before i've cooked a dish and the, the lid fell off the top of the salt and you just think i've just spent two hours cooking this you know a batch cooking something and poof, that's it done but i think always taste 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 as you go we all have different palettes and you know, if it wasn't quite right the first time, well, you can always try adding things and then the next time maybe do it slightly differently. But I think allow the ingredients to sing for themselves and then you can add little by little is always a good way of thinking about it. And your breakfasts. Now, you're you're very passionate about granola and the, the utilisation of yoghurts and fruit as a breakfast. And when, yes. you, when you take a step back, I can actually see the logic in that because you have all the proteins and you have, you know, you have the stuff that is really good for you setting you up for the day. How do you do homemade? Because I, I see you, you put loads of this granola stuff in the oven. What are you doing? So, um, well, the reason I started doing this is ever since I was a child, I would have had cereal for breakfast and I would have been hungry from 10 o'clock in the morning and I would have got hungry. And my mum used to be, why are you so grumpy? And it was because I was hungry and I was not a little bit hungry. I was absolutely like, ravenously hungry. So for me, if I just have cereal or something that's just carb based, I just get really hungry by the middle of the morning. And I'm no good to anybody, whether I'm teaching, rehearsing, just you, you wouldn't want to be near me. <laughs> um, so in terms of making a granola, the reason I started doing it is they're quite nut and seed based, um, the one that I particularly like making, or one of the ones. And it, for me, it just helps balance my blood sugar that little bit better. Why having it with some yogurt? Um, and I, I can't actually tolerate dairy at the moment, so I'm having lactose-free yogurt. Long story behind it, not by choice. And sometimes soya yogurt, depending on what I can get. And then the fruit is obviously the added element of you know fresh fruit that just so that I have the vitamins and bits and pieces that's good for me fiber in a different way as well and so when I'm making granola all I do is I mix up so sometimes I use buckwheat flakes sometimes I add oats a mix of nuts and seeds I use some olive oil I use a light olive oil I know I can see the surprise on your face um, as as part of the binding ingredients and some maple syrup um, just because I quite like the flavour of the maple syrup it doesn't matter whether you use honey any kind of syrup they are all processed in the same way there is you know no difference um, but I really like the way that the the flavours interact you can add a pinch of salt to bring out the flavours but be very careful not to over season you don't need lots of salt but just a tiny pinch can bring out the flavors of the nuts and seeds a bit more too you can add cinnamon cardamom be careful with cardamom it's very strong <laughs> but you can add different flavors as well and then literally mix it up chia seeds whatever else you want to put in there whatever you fancy and then spread it on a baking sheet 12 to 15 minutes depending on your oven temperature but low it shouldn't be a high temperature not above 160 uh, celsius i don't know what that is in fahrenheit sorry for people around the world that use fahrenheit and there you go. It's so easy. You let it cool, you break it up, 
and it's it will last for about two weeks. I don't think I've ever had it last more than a few days in my house. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I think it, it does last. I just, we haven't managed to make it last because we just eat it, I'm afraid. <laughs> Can you freeze it? Uh, I have no idea. I will try it and I'll get back to you. Um, I haven't ever tried it. I just don't think it would last that long in anybody's house. No, it wouldn't because it's so, so. Moorish. How did, I just wondered how you stopped going in. You know, you get the munchies at uh, eight o'clock at night and you think, oh, I'll have some of that granola. <laughs> oh, I have to hide it when, in, you know, we all have like a breakfast cupboard, don't we, in our kitchens. And yeah. it just, it's hidden in there and, and that's it. Otherwise, I'd definitely be diving in, um, especially after a concert, actually. That would be a really nice thing to come home to. So you've had your dinner earlier, you're feeling a bit hungry some granola and some yogurt would go down very well I think better than crisps and chocolate well you know we all have our vices there's no problem with that too <laughs> yeah mine's, Dor- mine's Doritos but um you have a, a love an obvious love for natural ingredients so what are your must-haves in your larder and what is your favorite oh, treat dark chocolate oh yeah. my goodness me yeah. dark chocolate yeah. um if I'm going to be specific um in lockdown, lint has been a big feature, uh, even just a square. And I'll often have a square of dark chocolate every evening yep. um, just because that can be my little thing that is just – I look forward to it. I sit down with a cup of tea and I have a square of dark chocolate. Um, so that would be in the evening. And that is just something that I really look forward to. You know, I would love to eat the rest of the bar of chocolate, but I, I think often just one or two squares is enough just to kind of satisfy. Oof. I don't know. I, I absolutely love tea and cake, as I know you know. Um, that, that is a big thing for me. Um, and that's something I would have loved doing with friends, um, colleagues, you know, way before the pandemic. That's something that I've always enjoyed doing. But um, I know I'll get back to that more when it's more possible. So, yeah, that's a, that's a big treat as well. What type of oils do you have? Do you have the sort of the the sort of the Japanese, the the different types of soy sauces. Do you prefer the thick, rich, extra virgin oil or the lighter virgin oil, or do you just have the lot and you just choose whichever is needed for the meal? Well, I, I don't know if you know actually. Um, in throughout the pandemic, I decided to do a course in nutrition and culinary practice, which I'm still mm. doing with Lee's, um Cookery School. And the reason I decided to do it is I wanted to learn more about food just because I love it so much. And I needed a creative outlet that was different to music just to kind of fill my cup a little bit more in terms of creativity. And throughout the course, you cook with so many different ingredients. And it's all about using the ingredients available, you know, free in the natural state or whatever, um, and creating incredible recipes that they have provided you with and then you cook them with the guidance and you have assessments and things so I'm still going through that process now and I've just learned about all of the different oils all of the different uses different vinegars you name it I've gone through all of them I absolutely love extra virgin and olive oil in salads and cold things and rapeseed oil is brilliant for roasting and cooking on a high heat and the light olive oil, the which I haven't ever used before I did this actually, is what I use in the granola because it doesn't have as strong a flavour and it works really well just to add a little something, but you wouldn't know it was olive oil. So I've, I've definitely, uh, you know, my oil cupboard and all of my condiments and various different things is quite, it's quite a collection, shall we say. <laughs> Can I ask about balsamic vinegar? Because yes. there's runny stuff that that comes out like water, and there's stuff, yes. there's this gorgeous stuff that comes out like glue, like honey. 
Oh, it's absolutely gorgeous, isn't it? Um, I actually stayed on a balsamic vinegar. What you'd call it, it's obviously not a vineyard or something, but they called it a balsamic balsamic vinegar farm, but that might have been a translation error. It was in Bologna, and that was a few years ago now, and they produced five different types of balsamic vinegar, and we, you, you know, you taste them all, and I have to say, my absolute favourite is the, you know, thick, syrupy ones, and you just get that sweetness, but you also get the vinegar flavour, and the depth is, oh, it's amazing, you have that on a salad, oh my goodness me, it's so delicious, um, but I think they all have their uses in different ways, and I think balsamic vinegar doesn't always have a great name in this country because of what's necessarily available at a decent price in the supermarket. And the ones we brought back were not cheap from this balsamic vinegar farm, shall I call it, but they they do last a long time. And the flavour, oh, it's it's just there are so many different elements in the flavour profile that you just wouldn't necessarily expect. So that's definitely something you know to use on a salad and really you know save it or with some cheese or something just as a extra condiment there i must i'm a i'm a sucker for the thick stuff so if i'm mm. away anywhere and i see balsamic vi- vinegar balsamic vinegar <laughs> that's better balsamic vinegar for sale i'll always tip the bottle and just see if it's if it's seen if it's like glutinous if it's honey like or yeah. if it's really runny and yes sadly it's really expensive the thick stuff but my it word. is well, it's it's definitely worth it. I know they age it for a very long time, and having been staying in the farm, you can smell it. The smell is ridiculous. It's it's just it's wonderful, and it's very very strong. But they age it for a very long time, so I'd say it's definitely worth it <laughs> if you can just to you know shell out a little bit more for some of it. I, well, I think we could talk for hours on food, and I know oh, I, I know that uh, if we had time, take the music away, and you'd be off. Off on a list. I mean, you, you cook cakes. You, you you post pictures of cakes. You post pictures of meals you cook. You post pictures of bread. And the sourdough, as you've already mentioned, it looks perfect now. But that would not last long. I have this, I have this sort of desire. If if I have my perfect treat, it is sourdough and salted butter, and for me, oh. that is the the treat. Uh, yes, I have to. I have to agree. You know, especially the butter when you have the flakes of sea salt on the top yeah. as well. Absolutely, that you know, that's definitely a treat, and it, it feels like a real restaurant treat as well. When you sit down in a, you know, in a restaurant, and they have you smell the sourdough before you even you get it, and then you have the warm sourdough with some butter with the flakes of sea salt. That's absolutely perfection, I think. Uh, so back to your social media, where we started, Catherine. Yes. Is, how can our audience find you? Oh, I'm at Catherine Flute uh, on Instagram and on Facebook. That's where you'll you'll find me. But so it's a mixture of you're the posh Catherine. I d- I wouldn't say posh. No, I'd no. Say... <laughs> you're posh, as in you don't spell it as you would normally think of oh, Catherine being spelled. Yeah, this is something that I have brought up with my parents on so many occasions. No, Catherine is K A T H A R I N E. And I really wish they hadn't done that to me because nobody can ever get my name right. But it doesn't matter. It is as it is. Try being called Jean-Paul. How many people can <laughs> never get your name right? Jean. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, thank you so much for joining me today. You're so kind to take time out. I know you have a busy schedule. Well, thank you. It's been a real pleasure talking about my two loves, uh, flute, music, food, and everything in between. So thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm we'll have to get together for an afternoon tea in London again soon. Oh, that would be wonderful. Yes, please. Because the last time we had afternoon tea, we went to a wonderful place in Covent Garden and you were heavily pregnant. 
Yes. <laughs> yes, I was. Yes, I can remember that well. But uh, yes, it would be nice to go and uh, not quite be in the same situation. Oh, thanks. Wishing you a wonderful day. Thank you very much. And to you. Thank you. And thank you so much to Catherine for coming on today and to you all for listening. Keep sending in your flute-related questions to Claire and I at flutepodcasts at gmail.com or via our Facebook page at Talking Flutes. Also, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to Talking Flutes podcasts on whatever podcast channel you are listening to this through. So until next week, wishing you a wonderful week ahead in whatever you've got planned or happen upon doing. May you be musically fulfilled and may your top C be especially in tune. <laughs> Goodbye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.